You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. A special guest is here with me today, Anat Sultan Daydan, uh, who is the Consulate General of Israel in Atlanta, but she is for the Southeast, and she's joining me today. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think like most of us, um, we woke up on October 7th, like we normally do, and turned on, I, I'm a news person, so I turn on the news in the morning to see what's happened, and because of the time difference early in the morning, we started seeing these pictures of what was happening in Israel. And I have a friend that lives in Connecticut that is Jewish and has a radio show like I do. So I immediately picked up the phone and called her because I knew her son was serving, her son-in-law was serving in IDF and I didn't know if he was actually deployed. I mean, you know, just the thing you do when you hear about bad things that happen, you think about who you might know that's impacted. And so I called her, and she, they had already heard that on their street, her, her son-in-law was not there, but had already heard that on her street that the daughter of one of her neighbors was at the music festival and was either missing or dead. They didn't know at this point in time. It was only a few hours into it. So I, I sat on my you know coffee table in my living room and just started to cry because I just couldn't imagine just with the little bit we saw I couldn't imagine it. So I immediately, we've been covering the story and talking about it over the last month. And I I just am so glad you're here today. And and what I wanted to start with is where you were that day and then talk a little bit about the history. Welcome. Thank you. October 7th really um, changed Israel. Because like you say, um, um, here in America, people woke up to um, already seeing the images of what was unfolding. We started uh, following, uh, in my home, uh, we started following uh, the night of, because that was already morning in Israel. And we slowly uh, started to watch what became the greatest massacre of Jews in a single day since the Holocaust. And that is something that has shaken us to our core as Israelis, but also felt deeply by our brothers and sisters in Jewish communities around the world, and honestly, should be felt deeply by anyone with a shred of humanity anywhere in the world. Well, I, I've talked to friends of mine, uh, and I was so happy. My friend, um, Greg Bluestein, who I'm sure you know, um, this week his daughter, last week his daughter had her bat mitzvah. And I'm so happy that he openly celebrated that publicly. He's a very public person about his family. He says right on his Twitter you know, description, he's a mint, aspiring mensch, you know, I mean, he's just a great guy. But I also worried when he did that, uh, that somebody was going to be nasty to him. But it doesn't look like they were. It looked like it was, a, I, unless he turned that off, I don't know. But um, he shared with me that, you know, over the last 
you know, he says, Martha, it's not unusual for my kids to have to go to school with extra security. You know, my daughter was going to Hebrew school. They had heavily armed guards. My other daughter's school had beefed up because there were a lot of Jewish students. You know, we had all of this. So you live in a life, in a world where security is beefed up all the time. Unfortunately, we are seeing a scenes which we should not be seeing. We are seeing not only a global rise in anti-Semitism, but we're seeing it here in the United States as well. We are seeing it here in the state of Georgia, in Atlanta. We are seeing public demonstrations that are proudly and publicly calling for what is basically the annihilation of the state of Israel and the Jewish people, chanting, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. The meaning of that is from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. The territory of the state of Israel should be eliminated and replaced by a state of Palestine. So that free Palestine that they call for to them will come at the cost of the destruction of the state of Israel and of the Jewish people, which... They proudly call for it. This is what Hamas's public agenda is about. It is no secret. So on my way to work last Monday in North Hall County, uh, since October 7th, there had been a sign in front of the North Hall Church, which is a, a fairly conservative Christian church. We support Israel. And someone had painted Free Palestine across that sign. And I actually had to pull over pull into the park, be sure I was reading it right, because all I could really make out was the F, and I was afraid. You know what I mean? I didn't know exactly what the word was going to be. And it so happened that the pastor was out on the lawn, and so he, we ended up having him on the program, and they left it vandalized for a day or two, because he said, I want people to see that even here in rural Georgia, there are crazy people, you know? That it's not just in big cities. I want people to see that. They have replaced the sign now, and it's a clean sign that says, We support Israel. I started to notice the rise in anti Semitism a couple of years ago, and I didn't take it very seriously, I'll be honest with you. I thought, Oh, it's just a few crazy people. Um, it's not anything. It was the flyers in the driveways. I'm sure you've seen that stuff. You've lived in Atlanta long enough. It, it, it happened. But it's like a scab was ripped off, and people felt open to be able to act this way. And I, I don't want to blame everything on social media, but it plays a part because it lets crazy people, it lets crazy people, you know, have um, an opportunity. You know what I'm saying? So uh, they find people that agree with them. Was it shocking to you, the level that we've seen in the last month? I think it is definitely shocking and greatly disturbing that we have a situation in which Israeli Jewish students on campuses, on college campuses, university campuses, but also in schools, elementary schools, high schools, are being bullied, are being verbally attacked, are being physically assaulted. And this is somehow tolerated. And yes, you refer to social media. No doubt we should all be mindful of the misinformation and lies that are being spread on social media. But I think we should also be mindful of the fact that this is the time for leadership to step up. 
This is the time for faith leaders to step up. This is the time for university presidents to step up. This is the time for anyone in a leadership position to step up and state clearly that hate cannot be tolerated, that anti-Semitism cannot be tolerated. Because we know that if this were any other group that were being attacked, it would not be tolerated. I can remember a time. I mean, I grew up a Lutheran, kind of an, uh, 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 an Orthodox kind of Lutheran. And in my lifetime, I'm 64, there's been a big change in the way uh, traditional Christians have looked at Judaism. Uh, I remember when I was a very young child, there was still, you know, this kind of hands-off. But as time went on, there has been this kind of embracing and understanding. And and I believe in many ways, Christians are the best friends that Jews have right now, as they should be. I mean, Christianity came out of Judaism. That's right. Okay, so we're all kind of in the same family here. So we need to care about what happens to Israel, because the way I look at it, and I know I'm biased, okay, but I feel like you go in, you follow the rules, you basically are trying to better get a better life for everybody, that when things were stable, like before the Second Intifada and before October 6th, there were Palestinians that were working in in Israel. There were 18,000 per day were per day. entering from the Gaza Strip into Israel. That's right. So there were things, people were going to school, people were going to work. And uh, Douglas Murray from Fox News made this very interesting statement where he said, in the last 15 years, Hamas could have turned Gaza into Singapore. But instead, they, just, they, they bought, they spent the money that the world gave on munitions. That's right. Which, which is why I think that rather than call for a free Palestine... For those who truly care about the Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip, they should be joining us in the call to free Gaza from Hamas. Because Hamas is intentionally harming their own civilians, intentionally placing them in harm's way, intentionally prioritizing their war machine over the needs and what could make the lives of their Palestinian population better. And they're opening up these corridors for people to live. What country in the world says, hey, we're about to attack you. Get on out. We're going to give you the time. And Hamas is killing them when they're trying to flee. So they don't care. Palestinian, and this is going to be harsh, but the Palestinians are just a pawn to Hamas on the way to killing Jews. And if people don't understand that, they are going to fall into this same kind of thing. And we as Americans should stand up for this. Yes, we've made mistakes. We should have taken the Jews in at the, before the Holocaust when we turned ships away. We didn't understand. But I remember, you know, Eisenhower stood at Auschwitz when it was, when it was liberated. And he brought in these generals to take this picture. And he said, we're taking this picture because someday someone's going to say this didn't happen. And... Now we look at pictures and we don't know if they're true or not. Now we look at, at reports, we don't know if they're and true now or not. now already people are saying that the massacre didn't happen. Just yesterday, we held a screening at the consulate of the 45-minute footage. A large part of it was taken by the terrorists themselves, by the perpetrators, proud of the massacre of the of the crimes against humanity that they were committing they were proud of it we screened this horrible footage and at the end one of the participants came up to me and told me i am really glad that i was here 
because I've been hearing accounts of the fact that the massacre at the dance in music festival didn't really happen, that it was that it was staged. Now I've seen it with my own eyes. It is incomprehensible that there is an abundance of footage, of testimonies, of evidence of the atrocities that have been committed and already this is being denied by anti-Semites and by Israel haters. So Israel is going to go forward. I mean, they're going to, you know, as Nikki Haley said, hopefully they're going to end this. Um, What happens next? What do we have to do now and what happens next? We are focused on ensuring that Hamas will no longer rule the Gaza Strip, that we will no longer face a terror threat from the Gaza Strip, and we are focused on bringing our 239 hostages who were brutally abducted and taken into the Gaza Strip, we are focused on bringing them home. The day after, whatever it looks like cannot look like what it looked like not only on October 7th, but also on October 6th. We will not allow for our children to go to bed under the constant threat of terror attacks and of rockets being fired. Rockets being fired only over the last month, almost 10,000 rockets being fired from the Gaza Strip into Israel, indiscriminately, intentionally targeting civilians. Over 1,000 of them, by the way, have fallen inside Gaza because they have so many misfires. But we need to remember The firing of rockets from the Gaza Strip into Israel, that is not a new phenomenon. That that has been going on for years. This is what the citizens of Israel have been enduring for years. We will not tolerate anymore Hamas and any other terror elements in in the Gaza Strip having capabilities to attack Israel. So we'll have to change the culture. And there are also leaders of Hamas that are living quite well outside of the Gaza Strip. I mean, these people that are doing interviews, they are not living in Gaza. They are living high on the hog. There's even one head of Hamas that, that is has gotten British citizenship and is living in London. Um, and together to they report. sit on a wealth of billions of dollars, yes. living a life of luxury. They have no consideration for their own people. So uh, terrorism, obviously you know, is is a terrible thing. Um, we were a victim of it on 9-11. I'm very worried with how open our border has been for the last three years that we're going to be a victim of it again. And uh, I think it's a legit, I don't think that's a crazy fear. I think that's a legitimate fear because if they would do it to you, they're going to do it to us or they're going to try to do it to England. Um, it's I, a problem. I think we all need to remember that Hamas is only one of the many arms of the Ayatollah regime in Iran who is dedicating, dedicated to fomenting terror in our region and far beyond. And the calls are very clear. The calls are not only against Israel and the Jewish people. The calls are also calls for the death to America. Mm-hmm. The calls are calls against the Western world against the free world. So it is not It is not just um, that it may be targeting America. 
that is that is clearly on their declared list of goals. So um, my friend Lisa uh, said that she and her friends are talking about where they go next if America gets to the point where they're too anti-Semitic. And that's a sad state of affairs. Um, and I wanted to kind of, that thought, I, I don't understand, but I think if you're Jewish, you do understand that thought. Where do we go next? That's a common theme, isn't it? Look, yesterday, November 9th, we marked 85 years since Kristallnacht, the night of the shattered glass in the German Reich in 1938, which was in many ways the first step towards what became the systematic annihilation of six million of our people. And we have since the Holocaust heard so many speak the words, never again. Now is the time for all of those who supposedly stood for what is right to stand now for what is right. Because never again is now. Now is when the Jewish people need to see not only Israel and the Jewish communities call out anti-Semitism, but the larger communities the, the leadership, the political leadership, the faith leadership, this is when anti-Semitism needs to be called out and it cannot be tolerated. It is not enough to go to ceremonies once a year and say never again. Now is the time when you actually need to step up. We're all Jewish now, folks. They're coming for them now. They'll come for us next. Anat Sultan Daydan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. We will talk again. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show. Shondell Summers here with me today. And we're talking to Congressman Buddy Carter. And I appreciate you being with us uh, today, Buddy. So how are you doing? Doing wonderful. I'm doing good. We're out of session right now, so it's always good. So you're out of session. It's the 10th, and we've got a deadline of the 17th. Where are we on that? Well, unfortunately, we had hoped to pass two of our appropriation bills this week. We did not do that. Um, both of them uh, were pulled right before we voted on them. We just didn't have the votes. Um uh, some problems, uh, T-HUD, transportation, housing, urban development, uh, some problems with that, particularly with Amtrak funding and and then some some policies of the administration that um, we were trying to reverse that, unfortunately, we weren't able to get an amendment passed on it. And then we had financial services, and and that was hopefully going to be passed yesterday but unfortunately we had to pull it as well with some problems with it so um you know we've got seven of the 12 passed right now it looks as if we're going to have to have a cr uh, i don't think we're it's obvious we're not going to get the, the rest of the bills passed before next friday so i'm looking at uh, or we are looking at two different options um one a clean cr that'll get us through a period of time to continue to work on the appropriation bills and then another um, somewhat of a unique idea and something that hasn't really been done before it's called a ladder cr and that is that we go ahead and and pass the bills that we pass get them to the senate let's work on them and and then do a cr on everything else you mean the and appropriations bills that you passed yep 
Okay. The appropriation bills. We passed seven of the 12. So if we can, you know, if we can take two or three of them and work with the Senate and get them passed next week, then um, then we would just need a CR for the remaining remaining nine bills. And then we can t- continue to work on that. And the advantage that has is this. You have to keep in mind, this is more than just money. This is also policy in these appropriations bills. And, and that's why we don't like a CR right now, especially because the policies of the previous majority, which was the Democratic majority, continue on. We want the Republican policies in there. At least we could get the Republican policies in there of these bills and that that could start taking effect, and that would be good. So I, I, I hope we'll look seriously at that latter CR. I don't – you know, I've, had, I've heard people speak in favor of it and against it um, – we, we've got members of our conference who just are opposed to CRs, period. And I get it. I understand that. But the reality is, is that we want to do everything we can to avoid a shutdown. A shutdown is just not good. And I think everybody realizes that. And nobody is saying shutdown, well, shutdown, and buddy, shutdown. I think, I think people forget that prior to, I believe it was Gam- Graham Redman, uh, they didn't ever do these shutdowns. Because the the idea was they knew you guys were going to come up with a deal and so they just kept the government going instead of shutting it down arbitrarily. And that post Graham Redman, I believe is what it was, is when we, we have these official shutdowns and they get used as these political tools. So the question that I have for you, there's a lot of stuff out there about Mike Johnson. I really didn't know who Speaker Mike Johnson was before he became the speaker, but I kind of like that. And what I've observed from him, I've seen him work with Hakeem Jeffries. I've seen him uh, get out there and and lead about things. How is he doing? I think he's doing great. Uh, I like Mike Johnson a lot. He's a good friend. He's a strong conservative. He's a man of faith. He is a constitutional lawyer. He's a constitutional expert. He practiced constitutional law for 20 years. Um, Actually debated cases in front of the Supreme Court dealing with the uh, with constitutional law. So that's his expertise. You're right. He was under the radar. He was um, what some people have called a backbencher. But at the same time, um, you know, that's good in a way because he had not really uh, built up any enemies. And that's essentially what we were looking for after uh, or what certain people were looking for, I should say, in our conference after we went through a litany of, of people who have paid their dues and done their work. Not that Mike hasn't. He's done some good work in the past. But, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy, as you know, I was a big supporter of Kevin's and, and, and thought he did a great job and certainly did not deserve what he got. Steve Scalise, what a, what a great candidate. Uh, Jim Jordan, I was, I thought Jim would have been a great speaker. And then Tom Emmer. Same thing. He was our NRCC chair for two sessions and did a great job. And then, you know, we, we got through them. All of them have been in, in leadership positions. And unfortunately, you know, when you're in a leadership position, sometimes you, you turn people the wrong way and, and you make some enemies. And Well, that's part of leadership. Have, that's part of leadership that you have to do what's right. And, and Mike's going to le- learn that, and he knows that. He knows that. Um, we're in a honeymoon period right now with him, but um, I suspect that won't last very long. In fact, uh, it may not last through next week. Good morning, Congressman Carter. Um, I, this is Shondell Summer, and I have a question for you. Uh-huh. When you talk about CRs, I'm assuming you mean continuing resolution. In other words, keep the funding for the government that is in place 
going on until you can come That's to correct. some type of agreement. Is there some time frame on continuing resolutions, or do they just continue until you do another continuing resolution? No, you have to you have to set a date certain, and there've been there's been talk about. Um, you know, going to January 22nd, uh, January 15th, I believe is MLK day. So we don't want to do it then. Um, but there's been talk going to January 22nd. There's even been talk about going to April 15th. Um, you know, I, I hope we can get it done before then. Keep in mind well, now, when by April 15th, through, you're supposed to have the framework for the next year's budget done. That's why. That's exactly right. <laughs> You're right, Martha. You are. So but keep in mind I would now, rather, that, I vote for January twenty second, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but but we did pass um, a rule, and Thomas Massey, Kentucky, passed a rule that said that if we're still doing continued resolutions April fifteenth, then there's a one percent across the board cut in the government, and that get that's getting people's attention. We need to have something done by April fifteenth. Otherwise, that one percent. Um, a cost-of-board cut takes place, and, and nobody's going to like that. So let me ask you one more question, because my son works for USDA. He does research in poultry and that kind of thing. And we were talking last night, and these continuing resolutions wreak havoc on what they do research-wise and what they do related to the money they have, because they deal with animals, which require care, which require money, which require all of that. And I just don't think that I know you because you were a small business person. You understand. okay? but there's a lot of people up there that think these are just numbers that are being pushed around, that they're not actually real people that are being impacted by this. You're exactly right. And and that's a perfect example. The USDA is a great example. Unfortunately, the best example is probably defense. That that's where the CRs really hurt because they can't start new programs. And just like USDA can't start the, the new research programs, and the Department of Defense can't start new re, new programs. And 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 that's why that's the downside of a CR. One of the many downsides of a CR. You know, we've just got to get our our act together. Um, we passed a. Uh, a 10 year budget out of the budget committee that if we follow it, we will balance our budget in 10 years and actually have a, a, a surplus at the end of that 10 years. We need to adhere to that budget. And if we can adhere to that budget and pass our appropriation bills, we can get this back on track. I, I don't think people have a grasp of just how serious our, our excessive spending is. None of us well, want to see a shutdown, but it, it's not the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen would be for us to continue this excessive spending that we've got. Well, buddy, the thing is, you know, you talk about a 10-year budget, okay, and I'm going to go all Rand Paul on you, but all you would have to do <laughs> is go back to 2019 spending, which we were overspending yeah. in 2019, too. And you would have a balanced budget, and you could start a balanced budget next year if you went back to 2019 spending. The problem with that is we are now paying three times as much in interest, and there's also three-quarters of the budget that's on our autopilot. So until we're willing to talk about those things, we're never going to solve this problem. I couldn't agree with you more. You uh, you had the nail on the head. The spending is the problem. And 2019 figures, you know, we're we're battling over 2022 figures. And people are, are saying, let's go back to pre-pandemic spending. But, but you know, we, we can't even get that resolved. Absolutely. Buddy Carter, if people need to know more from you, how can they find out? 
they can go to our website. It's uh, Buddy Carter at um, a, a, whatever. BuddyCarter.house.gov. That's it. No, no worries whatsoever. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. John Ashbrook is joining me right now. He is a founding partner of Cavalry. He was worked for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, and he's part of a group of four, I don't know what to call them, four guys that talk about politics. John, welcome to the program. Martha, it is it is so good to be with you. I mean, you've been a legend on radio for so long. Just a real treat to join you this morning. Oh, thank you so much. Um, okay, so you guys are going to Miami. Are you there yet? We are headed there later today, and like, and we have a yeah. You, we we've got our big show tomorrow. Got a big show tomorrow. You're going to have a party, all kinds of fun things, and it's going to be an interesting debate because I think how it's shaken out right now. It, this is just my view on it, is you got Chris Christie, who is burning the house down, doesn't have a chance, but my dad's from New Jersey, and I love seeing a guy from New Jersey going after everybody. So I'm he's there. Vivek Ramaswamy is kind of in uncharted waters. I think he looked a little um, thin-skinned in the first debate, and he hasn't quite recovered from that. Uh, we've got... Tim Scott, who I love, I love the positive forward view. I wish he was doing better. But it looks like the the battle is going to be between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And of course, this is a this is a much slimmer field than we've seen in previous debates because of this growing requirement from the RNC to have more donors and, and do better in the polls. I think they had to they had to come up with seventy thousand donors and get 4% in a couple of polls to, to be able to show up. But, you know, Martha, I've spent the past couple of weeks watching tape on these old debates, talking with the campaigns, and I think we can expect big things from from, from all of them uh, tomorrow night, and it's going to be very entertaining in any event. I think you're right. You know, Nikki is coming off uh, a slew of polls showing her closing the gap with DeSantis, you know, particularly in this early state of Iowa. She's rising in New Hampshire and, of course, very strong in her home state of South Carolina. And I think you can expect her uh, to emphasize her foreign policy bona fides on Israel, Russia, China, but don't expect her to pull any punches, right? She lit up Vivek Ramaswamy in the first debate on security issues. She did the same to Ron DeSantis, Ronnie D, as we call him on the ruthless podcast she did that to him in the second debate on energy and i think we'll see more of the same tomorrow night and ron DeSantis, um he just landed that big endorsement from the popular governor of iowa kim reynolds uh she's of course she's a friend actually and, a powerful and that's advocate pretty unusual and john isn't that pretty unusual because i had always heard the iowa folks usually don't endorse they usually don't and um and i think it's noteworthy that she's that she has uh, um, aligned with DeSantis. And it's more than just a name with uh, Governor Reynolds. You have an entire organization in the state that if they activate uh, in earnest, you could, you could see a real, a real turn toward DeSantis on the ground. You know, he's got a talented team. Um, obviously, the polls show that President Trump has a commanding lead. But if, if DeSantis wants any hope to stay alive, he has to perform very, very well. 
in Iowa. Well, and that's the one path, right? I mean, polls are great, but until you start casting votes, and the only path for somebody to unseat Donald Trump is if they win one or two of the early Trump primaries and and maybe win a couple of them, and then people start wanting to back a winner. You know what I mean? You see that whole dynamic happen. I mean, look at how Biden got in. Biden was losing, and then he got in. McCain was losing, and then he ended up getting the nomination. I don't know if those are the two best examples, but, but you know, they but were I in mean, those places. You're right. I mean, those are two examples. Um, in recent history where uh, somebody else was ahead and then another candidate sort of shocked the field and and won early states and ultimately went on to take the nomination. Obviously, you know, we all know it's sort of a long shot at this point with Trump's position in the um, in the primary field. But anything can happen. It change, you know, the politics is a, is a very dynamic environment. As as everybody knows, it's just easy to easy to forget that in the moment. And um, especially with, yeah, go ahead. No, so I look at the big issues. They're kind of the three I's. They're inflation, immigration, and Israel now. That's the the three big Mm -hmm. issues. And the Mm -hmm. one that nobody's really talking about is the budget, okay? And uh, Mm -hmm. this guy, Fareed Zakaria, you see him pop up on Bill Maher and that kind of thing. He said uh, last week that... Voters like Republican taxes and Democrat spending, and that's why you're never going to have movement on the budget. For me, it's a big issue. It is a very big issue. It's the one thing Trump never talked about. And in fact, he added on a lot to the debt, a lot to the debt. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it to people, is it just wonks like me that care about it or is it a legitimate issue? No, I, I don't think it's just wonks like you. I mean, I, I honestly think it's it's an issue that's on the mind of a lot of conservatives around the country. And, you know, it's one that we've we've heard over and over again through the years. I mean, just think about the rise of the Tea Party and uh, think about very popular Republicans like Tom Coburn, who's, um, you know, no longer in the Senate, but used to fight to cut down on these waste, wasteful programs. Uh, you don't hear any effort to uh, cut spending from Democrats, um, but you do ha- you do hear it from people like Ron DeSantis, who has worked in the state of Florida to get his budget under control. Um, and I would expect that tomorrow night we'll hear a little bit about overspending in Washington um, from this field. So do you think the moderators will keep control or will they lose control like they did last time? So, uh, so this is an NBC uh, panel, and they have added uh, your good friend uh, Hugh Hewitt uh, to the panel, and hopefully he will keep them on the tracks. Uh, I I wonder, you know, there because it's NBC, uh, all of these candidates are incentivized to take shots at the network in some way. I wouldn't be surprised to see to see them um, treating. A, at least a couple of these um, moderators as if they were contenders on the stage. I mean, it's it's an easy, easy target for a Republican primary candidate. And um, and I just I, I honestly can't wait for tomorrow night. I mean, I know a lot of people think that um, that the race is over, that it's that this is going to be another boring debate. I actually think that tomorrow's debate will be very interesting because it's it has a larger uh, studio audience than the second debate. The second debate, there were only like 40 or 50 people at the Reagan Library. Uh, 
there will be a lot more people in the Arsh Center in Miami tomorrow. And, you know, that first debate where there were so many good uh, moments, memorable moments, like when Nikki Haley took it to uh, Vivek, um, it happens because of crowd interaction, you know, and they, and of course the moderators tell the crowd, don't clap, you know, reserve your, uh, reaction until, uh, after the debate, but, but people react naturally. And it is a lot of fun to watch a candidate play to the crowd. And every single one of those, uh, candidates on stage is, is certainly capable of it. You mentioned Chris Christie. I, I mean, the guy is very entertaining and, you know, he's of course got a, Super long shot bid here, but he's going to need to draw on every one of his powers for humor and um, clarity if he wants to catch a spark tonight. Well, and it's funny because as a you know, I've had candidates, you've had candidates, and I don't think that it's the wrong thing from a consulting standpoint for Donald Trump not to participate in these debates because when you're so far ahead, there is you only have you know you can only lose ground by participating in a debate like this but i just keep dreaming of like trump showing up (laughs) and and just like okay he's he's not that far away it's gonna be in miami it's like i know i think he's gonna have some competing event and that's what he's been doing but that would be just like i'm dreaming of that that would be just like the most fun in the world it would be huge it would be it, it it would be huge i mean the guy I'm with you. I I wish he was he was participating in these debates. I think he should. If you're running for president, you should stand up there with the other candidates. Um, but if you talk to his team, um, their argument makes sense. They say we're trying to win a campaign, not entertain people. And you know that's the mindset of a of a campaign that's built uh, built to win a, a nomination as opposed to uh, a bigger audience. And I, uh, I mean, he's, he's obviously very talented in, in a, in a debate forum. Um, and what I worry is that not only would, will we not get to see those talents on display in a Republican primary situation, but let's fast forward to a general election. If it ends up being him versus Biden, are Democrats really going to let Joe Biden debate? And is the media really going to push him if he says he's not going to? I don't think so. So I think our only chance to see Donald Trump on a debate stage could be these, uh, these, uh, primary debates. And I, so I don't know. I mean, it, will there be another one? That's an open question. There's some rumors about, uh, potentially a fourth debate, uh, next month. Um, but we'll see. So at the end of the ruthless podcast, every time you ask, um, the guests, like what size animal they could take, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because, you know, I've thought about that question a lot uh, because mm-hmm. I've just had, I've in the last four years, I've had two knee replacements. So now I think I could take something bigger. But prior to that, it would be like a squirrel. You know, that would be like it all would. I could do. <laughs> I mean, well, like, let, now, let me ask you, then let me ask you, Martha, it, you know, given your your knee replacements and given the need that humanity has to fight back against the animal menace, what's the biggest animal you could take, mano a mano? You know, I we have some very friendly deer in our yard, so I might be able to take a uh-huh. deer. <laughs> the problem is I wouldn't want to. I don't have the killer instinct. So. <laughs> it's so funny. We've got these deer in our yards 
our yard. We have mm-hmm. a pretty big piece of property, and um, they are so used to us coming and going, they don't even move when we come out of the house. I have a St. Bernard that thinks that uh-huh. they should play with him, and um, they do run away, but they don't act like they're scared when they come out. It's like, it's like hey, we just like being here. So it's it's great. It's great. Listen, uh, people want to know more about the Ruthless Podcast. How can they find out? Well, they just go to ruthlesspodcast.com, uh, or they can find us uh, on any of the um, any of the podcast services out there. And tomorrow night, if you're in the Miami area um, or planning to go down to the debate, you can still come to our pre-show, which is going to be a game day type setup, like college game days. We had a lot of fun at the first debate in Milwaukee. Governor Brian Kemp came as our special guest picker, and um, and we expect to have a lot of fun tomorrow night. So tickets are 10 bucks. We have food and beverages and would love to see you there. It's it's like a lost leader in an inflation time, which would be great. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right, exactly. You could you guys could get some votes because you're thinking about the you're thinking about the voters there, so it'd be good. <laughs> John take Ash- care of them. John Ashbrook, thank you so much, and we'll get together again. Yeah, thanks, Martha. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller. 